Welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. These podcasts are designed to motivate, educate, and to inspire you to take huge action in your life, to change your life from this moment on. I interview inspiring guests with amazing stories that you can hopefully learn from, relate to, and spur you on to achieve big things. If you want to follow my personal journey and all the different things that we do, please follow me on Instagram, which is Terry underscore Blackburn underscore property. Or on YouTube, my page is Terry Blackburn property. Me, myself, I've been from rags to riches, had nothing. Now I've built multiple businesses earning over millions of pounds. I have a multi-million pounds portfolio of property up in the northeast of England. I am by no means done yet. So please get in touch if you love the show. If you have any feedback for me, I'd really appreciate that. And I'm happy to help as many people as I possibly can. That's what this show is all about. So enjoy the episode. Take care, have a fantastic day, and don't just take notes, take action. Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest is a guy called Daniel Hill. He's done quite a lot of things, to be quite honest, in his career, but to give you a little bit of a flavour, he's the founder of the PPN Property Group that does fantastically well. He's won multiple awards in multiple areas, including Entrepreneur of the Year 2018, multiple businesses, which we're going to get into. He's done all kinds of different property strategies, which we're also going to get into. And from what I know, he's got a really interesting story. So welcome to the show, Dan. How are you, Terry? You good? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. Do you prefer Dan or Daniel? Sorry, I didn't even ask. Dan. Dan. Dan's good. We're in Dan. good company. <laughs> Dan's good. Well, thank you for coming on, Dan. I really appreciate your time. Looks like you're a very, very busy man. So I appreciate you coming on today. Um, so what we like to do, Dan, is we like to just talk about your career so far. So we'll break it down into three parts. We'll try and extract as many lessons as we possibly can. Any advice that you can share would be fantastic. And hopefully it'll just inspire and motivate some people that are listening and watching the show. So, Absolutely. Great. So the three parts are the start, just basically how you got into property, how it all sort of started. Um, the middle part is the main part, which is what everyone wants to hear, is the exciting part, the growth part any sort of key moments in your career, any key learnings and any sort of highlights as well. And then the last part is just the current part is what your attention is on right now, what property strategies you're using, where your attention and focus lies at the moment. And again, we'll try and extract some lessons from that. So um, starting off, just how did you first get into property and business? Dan, if you could share that, that would be, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So always been in business since literally I was about probably about three years old. So I've been oh, self-employed all my life. Started my yeah. first business at 14 um, and then went on to, when I was at school, I had a uh, mobile disco company. So doing school discos, yeah. birthdays. I think most entrepreneurs have been a DJ or something like that <laughs> or night, nightclub promoters at some point. Are, are you a good dancer? Uh, I'm actually probably not bad. I probably, I, probably not, I probably think I'm a lot better than I am, but uh, yeah. I'm normally the first one on dance floor. Um, <laughs> Love it did that and then when I was at school I had that business and then also so I did that evenings and weekends but then also when I did my A-levels I had a few days during the week free between classes so I've started working on the buildings okay so I've, I've done floor screening hot carrying and like dry lining roofing whatever so I knew how to build businesses knew how to build houses and I thought I don't want to be the guy physically building the houses I want to go and be the guy paying the guys to build the business, build the house, sort of thing. So I decided to go uni, went to university, did a degree and in strategic entrepreneurship. Um, two years academic, one year placement, and then one year back to finish. First two years, just like blew the lid off it, socialised, partied, had a great time. <laughs> Third year, did a year's placement. It was the first mm-hmm. job I've ever had employed mm-hmm. and realised, well, basically... Within the first like three months, um, I was facing getting fired. So it was the first job I've ever had. They reprimanded me, they disciplined me, and then they were going to fire me. And then actually, at the point they called me in for the meeting, the area manager came in and uh, said, we don't know what you think you're doing, um, but you've increased sales to 2.4 million, and we want to give you a promotion. So they promoted me. Uh, I won an award for manager of the year, and I was like, this is bonkers. Like, you were going to fire me, and now you're giving me awards. And I realized like two things. One was it's not a bad thing about bending the rules. Like if you know why things are there, you know, there's there's obviously rules that shouldn't be broken, but others can be bent. 
And the second thing was, for as long as I can uh, sustain it, I'm never going never gonna to work for anybody else ever again. And I thought, mm-hmm. stuck to that. Went back to uni, thought, I'm going to get a degree just in case it goes tits up. So I got went all guns blazing, got a first class degree in strategic entrepreneurship. And then um, simultaneously to that, started my first trading group, which is a group of companies. We had an events company, we had a clothing company. We did uh, production, we did retail, we did online, we did events, and then scaled that up until 2000 and um, scaled that up until 2011, and then sold it. And then 2011, the mark obviously the market collapsed during the GFC 0708. Watched it sort of bottom out, and then knew I was always going to get into property, and then moved into there in 2011. Did my first deal in 2011, and then did 18 deals the second year. And then just and then scaled the company up from there, really. Okay, cool. Just before we jump into that 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 part, I just want to pick out a few parts of that because that, that's quite interesting. Um, the thing about when you said you didn't really want to work for somebody else and you went self-employed, that seems to be a really common uh, trait of people who are running big businesses and who are successful. I've always been like even with my parents, with my partner, but they I can't deal with authority me. Is that something that you've always had from a child? Were you quite like a naughty kid and stuff? Or um... I think some some people just uh, so yeah, definitely like definitely always been rebellious. Always, yeah. not all entrepreneurs are like that, you know. Some entrepreneurs mm-hmm. like your Warren Buffett's are very compliant. Yeah, but um, a lot of entrepreneurs who are going to start new things are often breaking boundaries, pushing against mm-hmm. the rules. If you're into like wealth dynamics or human design or any of these profiling things, I go into all of those spaces like manifesting generator, dynamic entrepreneur all that sort of that's definitely where I sort of operate and I think some people are some people could could just never be self-employed so I've got a few people one of my old team members approached me I said it's time to start your own business now and they said there's no way they could ever be self-employed and I think there's others of us who literally are unemployable and could never be employed and whether it's <laughs> yeah. an ego an ego thing or an ability thing you know I'm sure if I if I offered you a job there'd have to be a lot of zeros for you to come and work work (laughs) even if i said it was with me rather than for me it wouldn't appeal to you in the slightest you like the freedom you like the ownership the control really yeah Yeah, i think it's freedom you work twice as hard and sometimes for half as much but the freedom you have you don't care i've not watched the clock in 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 15 years so or 20 years so that's a good thing love that i think that's i think that's spot on and you also you're right the warren buffett thing you don't have to be as maybe it's a misconception this you don't have to be self-employed to be massively successful and you don't have to be that risk taker do you? you can be in an employed role and work you up and do fantastically well you don't have to go self-employed to to be successful right um it's just knowing where you fit in the business if you think the, the business yeah. has four stages in the same way that on property entrepreneur which is our the pro, tra- training program we run there's four stages to the seasons you know you've got spring uh, autumn winter spring summer there's also four stages to the business growth like spring is when you start the business that's people like me and you you know trailblazers go-getters natural optimists if we actually knew what would go wrong we actually wouldn't ever leave the house we just don't believe <laughs> yeah. our stuff that, that's the spring but we, we we form the business summer is the storm and that's for people who are maybe not that creative but they're like go you know they're sales people they're people people they go out there and, and light fires. They are, they are stormers. They grow it. Your normas is the autumn where the business starts to settle down. It's more like autumnal and the energy goes into the ground. And they're more sensory people who, you know, in your insurance company, you've probably got 100 people who are like customer service in the moment, doing the same thing day, day in, day out. And they just run with it. They're the people who run the business on a daily basis. And then your yeah. performers, like your Warren Buffett's, data analysis positioning allocation of capital they you know they're your winter energies they're your lords and your steals and when when you know where you fit have you ever done any like so psychometric profiling no, no no i haven't actually it's really interesting when you you know, just listen to you there i think that's a great analogy and and when you were saying that i was kind of thinking right who the who who in my business fits into those different parts that's a really interesting analogy that's a way, really good way of putting it as well think about you you as a profile there's a really good profile you can do test you can, i mean loads of these you have to pay for some of them are free if you do the what's called the genius you test it's free take you about 60 seconds after the podcast um 
and it'll tell you which profile you are and you're probably a dynamo or a blaze when it you know only been speaking for 12 minutes but i suspect you're probably <laughs> you're probably a blaze but yeah it's interesting let me know yeah no well it's interesting that i like stuff like that and again it's, it's understanding the the psychology behind why things happen and who fits in which part and, and each part i imagine will have different strengths and weaknesses you don't want to give somebody who's a a summer, a winter task day, you want to make sure that you give the right tasks to the right yeah. people. Um, that's really yeah. interesting. I love that. And we all think we all think we're all weird. Most most people think everybody else is weird. You know, the the blazy salespeople think all the people in the office who do admin and finance are just a pain in the ass. They're boring people. And those people <laughs> are sitting there yeah. thinking, you know, those those they're people that, sitting there thinking. Yeah, we're the smart ones. Those guys out there just running around like mayhem. Don't know what they're, they're doing. They're just salespeople. Yeah, hey, no, you're right. You're absolutely spot on. You're absolutely spot on. Love that. That's a, it's a great, great analogy. That, thanks for sharing that. Um, but yeah, so, so we're jumping about a bit. But so, so let's talk about um, the growth part. So I think you mentioned there, yeah, two, you bought 18 units. Is, is that right? <laughs> yes, what we'll normally do is we, we, we focus on what we call strategic positioning. So it's basically looking yeah. at every market and finding either a niche or a wave. So a wave is something big that's come in and we get on it early, like at the minute. Not that I'm into it, but the minute like crypto or virtual reality or modular building or um, 3D printing houses, you know, that's crest of a wave. Or niche is, you know, everybody does um, HMOs, but we do, the HMOs we do are in, one postcode, they're C-class or C-grade uh, or A-grade accommodation for C-grade tenants. Like that's a niche, so it's a really small part of the market. We'll find a wave or a niche, the idea being it's high margin, low competition, and then literally as quick as we can to scale it up. And then when we see the market sort of becoming more mature and everybody else getting on the boards, before we hit the beach, we normally exit, but we'll sell the portfolio, sell the stock, sell the businesses, and then move on to the next one. Okay, so so have you, have you been through multiple cycles of that? So building from scratch, building up to sell, selling it, starting again. Have you done that multiple times, Dan? Is, is that fair? Yeah, so you've done it. So you start, so what we teach on Property Entrepreneur is how to start, systemize, scale and sell a business. And we've gone through that. I've done two like 10-year cycles with different business groups in that sort of scenario. But then within there, we've also bought, we've had like little micro cycles as well so we've bought stock we've flipped uh, we've bought businesses we've flipped um and we've bought development sites repurposed them that sort of thing and is it mainly around property or is it is it different industries and different sectors as well so pulse trading group was my initial group of companies that was what i won young entrepreneur of the year for and i built that from uh 14 to 24 so that was like four that was about 10 year cycle Stepped out of that in 2012, and then PPN UK. I started in 2012, and I've just exited the majority of those companies. Not the majority of them, but a big of the like 15 companies. We've just exited about 12 of them, and that was this year. So that was the end of another sort of 10 year cycle. Oh well, fair play, fair Cheers. play. Um, yeah, yeah that's a, I didn't actually know that about you, which is it fascinates me stuff like this. Um, cool. So thanks for sharing. So. What advice, I know we're jumping around a bit, but I'm just going to run with it. So so in order to sell a, a group of companies uh, or be acquired, what advice would you give on that? Are you, are you starting with the end in mind? Is that always the plan from the outset? Or just what um, advice, general advice, could you give to someone in that, that, that um, situation? Yeah, definitely. So when you think about wealth creation, so if you actually mm. want to be wealthy, like genuine financial independence. I'm not talking about Ferraris and helicopters. I'm talking about generational wealth is you need to be highly strategic about what you're building. And there's three layers to wealth. I did a podcast on this. I um, can't remember what it was called. I think it's called The Blueprint. And it's on the official Property Entrepreneur podcast. You want to listen to it. There's three layers to it. And the first is cash flow. The second layer is profit. And the third is asset. So the first port call with any entrepreneur is cash flow is as quickly as possible get to a break-even point and these big cash flow businesses are noisy they've got loads of people they've got loads of overheads it's like your insurance company it's a noisy business it makes loads of cash flow yeah. but it, you know it pays for the internet and it keeps the lights on it pays for the cars and pays for the insurance and stuff 
So that's cash flow. Do that for as long as you need to to get the business running on rails and and give buy back your time. To then start that cash flow businesses are just PL businesses. So in the main, they're just profit and loss every month, kicking out money. Once you started to do that and you've got your cash flow sorted, then move into profit. So if you think about cash flow strategies like HMOs or service accommodation, great to live off, ball ache to own. Um, you then move into profit strategies, which take longer and you won't want to pay your mortgage with them. But when the money comes, it comes in big chunks. So this would be like flips. You know, a flip might take you a year, but it could make you 100 grand. Or a build to sell development could take two years, but it'll make you a million quid. That profit is where you start to move from profit and loss to balance sheet, where you're increasing your net wealth every year by making, you know, when you get started, 50 to 100 grand, when you're pressing on with it, like half a million, million, few million quid a year in profit, large capital events, that's your chunks of cash. And then what you want to do is use those chunks of cash to move up to buy assets, which are really low risk, low return, single lets, single let blocks of flats, blocks of bedsits that you build and lease out to, the council for 20 years and it's just knowing how to move through those strategies and if you're building a business to create wealth but actually it's a cash flow business and that's all it is it's going to take you a lifetime because you know you 80 percent of it's paying everybody else and then you know it's just not the way to create wealth if you have a profit business which is like developing selling flipping deal sourcing we've got an, we do m a so we sell companies for people now, it might take a year to sell a company but when you do you make 100 grand a quarter of a million quid chunks of cash and then assets is if you want to build a business to sell it has to actually have a value so your life insurance company will probably have a really strong asset value because you've probably got like you probably got hundred thousand clients which you will make 20 quid off each of them and you could just sell that book and you know there'd be good asset value in it whereas something like a consultancy business where you know people pay 100 grand a year to be a consultant when you know when, when you stop the whole thing stops and there's nothing to sell because it's just you know it's just you so it's building if you want to build a business to sell it's making sure that it's worth something and then it's just understanding where the market is sell it on its way up rather than the way down and um, make sure you know what you're selling you can sell a business that's making a million quid profit a year but it could be worth nothing equally you could sell a business which is making zero profit but you could sell it for 10 million quid it's like just really working with somebody who knows what they're talking about to to position it there's a few sort of like bits of insight well yeah. um i think I think, yeah. I think that's interesting i think certainly what i see online loads of people are shouting about property but not too many people are shouting about business and the roi in a business is a hell of a lot higher than property but it's quite interesting that i've never heard it positioned the way you said it you doing the doing properties and other in businesses to then buy low risk properties i've never really heard that sort of strategy so the aim of the game there is if you think You've got, so if you use property strategy, service accommodation, you've got 10 service accommodation flats, absolute ball ache, you know, they're ringing you at two o'clock in the morning, pissed up, lost the keys. It's fine, it gets you going, but you would never be able to retire on that. But if you can use that to pay your salary and then do one flip a year and make 100 grand and then use that 100 grand to buy three single lets a year, after five years or 10 years, you end up with what we call your financial fortress, which is 50 single lets, which are rented out for, you know, my, my rule of thumb is if I can make 8% return on investment, each single let making 250 quid, once you've got every 50 of those you get, it's 100 grand a year and a million quid equity. You could retire knowing that those single lets are going to run forever. Whereas if it was like service accommodation or trading Bitcoin or HMOs, it's not, it's quite high anxiety sort of. Business. You've got to be involved in it, yeah. The, the best definition of a business, I don't know if you're familiar with Brad Sugar, is that, that action coach guy. Um, he says that the definition of a business, and someone said this to me a good few years back, and it really stuck with us, was the definition of a business is a commercial and profitable enterprise that runs and grows without you, as in the founder, the director. And up until that point, it was all me, all of Bespoke, all the different businesses, and everything was all me, and I thought, shit. It's not even a business. So then the systems and processes come in to then, you you know, you remove yourself a bit. And as long as it still runs and grows. But I think so many people fall into that trap. And you, you said it there, like a consultancy business. They are the business. But they think they have a business and they don't, do they? They don't, they don't have a business. Um, they might have a high cash flow in one, like the bottom, like you say. Um, I love that analogy. Um, 
of getting into the low risk out of interest when you're buying the lower risk i'm assuming you've done this buying the lower risk ones at the top are you still using debt then are you still mortgaging these or with the capital events are you are you buying them out or what's your sort of plan obviously it depends on your risk profile and where you are i'm just going to move because a couple of people come in um it depends what where you are in your journey so for example i'm quite happy using mortgages um so i use 75 percent loan to value mortgages to purchase yeah. the single debts like that that works for me i'm happy with that whereas i've got a few clients that have maybe uh, got one client that lost money when Lehman brothers went down so the idea of working with a bank to him is just alien he would never do it and i've got another one who's been bankrupt before so his whole thing is he wants everything unencumbered i think it's where you are in your journey but when i built yeah. my first financial fortress they were like high density blocks of flats like 15 20 50 flats uh, high density and then leased out to housing associations um that was fine it did the job but now i'm looking at it thinking right well if they bring in minimum ha- house sizes or the market changes so now i'm doing another one which is called an- another one which is basically just single lets three bed semis um eight percent ret- return on investment with 75 percent mortgage just just to continually reduce that risk it's just a really intelligent way of looking at it. I feel like it's a kind of vibe that I'm getting from you. That, you know, I think there's unfortunately a lot of people online who perceive to be something that they're not certainly around property. And half of them, they're just buying as many properties as they can. They're not really thinking about the next step and the step after that. And like you say, they're just creating anxiety, stress, high pressure for themselves. On Yes, it might be cash flowing well, but are that many people really thinking about the next step and the step after? If they're not, they are, should. They re- are they really are they really cash flow well? That's the other thing. Probably not. Well, yeah, focus on, yeah, yeah. I know more people who've got a small portfolio of five HMOs making more money than people who've got five hundred HMOs because it's like you need to yeah, it's uh, you need to know what you're doing. And there's a big difference between being rich and being wealthy. Right, being rich is everybody else thinking you've got shitloads of money. Being wealthy is you don't care what other people think. But you know you're absolutely you know, you're absolutely sorted. Death, yeah, yeah. Love that. Love that. I think it's a really, I, I like your approach because it's, it's different and it's, it, it's sensible. It's an intelligent way of looking at it, I feel. Um, and it's not being short-sighted. I feel there's a lot of people out there who are very short-sighted that all they're looking at is the next property, the next deal, the next deal, the next angel, you know, when in reality you, you need to be thinking a few steps ahead. Um, who is it that says that you should, you should think seven steps? Is it that Patrick Bet David? I'm sure he does a, he's got a book on seven steps or something which um, I found really interesting. Uh, it's maybe similar to what you guys do. Yeah, I think it's the um, it's finding the sweet spot. It's understanding that more revenue does not mean more profit. Like when you're scaling a company, like we, we did a roll-up with letting agencies and at 200 units making 40% profit, at 450 units making about 35% profit, so it was great. From 400 to 600 units, we were losing 18 grand a month because it's like to have a big company... You, know, you have to have the revenue, the overheads of a big company before the revenue. And Seth Godin talks about the dip. Like whether you're, you know, whether you're doing a body transformation or you're scaling the company, you put the money in, you go into losing money. I mean, hopefully you come out the hockey stick. And then when we got up to like a thousand units, it was back making profit again. So it's like, yeah, it's that. It's, it's understanding that more revenue doesn't mean more profit, more growth doesn't always, in fact, most times doesn't mean more money. And actually, there's a commercial balance for every business. And it's figuring out where that is, where it, remember like um, common denominators and fractions at school. So you've got to find the one where all the line, everything dots up lovely and it, and it makes the money. That's the sweet spot. Love that. Great. No, great advice. And, and thank you for that. I think I'm sure people listening can um, relate to some of that or, or, or might have just made them think a little bit different, a little bit of a light bulb moment actually. What, what's the next step? Am I looking at this properly? Am I at the bottom of that hockey stick? Um, analyze. You seem very analytical, although you're a blaze type guy, I think you said. You still seem quite analytical as well. Um, out of interest, well, first of all, I suppose, how many businesses are you involved in right now? And now I've got some questions around business, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So not a huge amount. So I've just sold Multilet UK. That was uh, 10 companies. Um, that we were running, head office in Nottingham, eight offices around the UK, just sold that. I've got Property Entrepreneur, which is our business and property training program. So that's, we have uh, 
program where people do their first year and learn all this stuff that I'm talking about. Then once they understand and they've put that into their business, they come on to advanced and work with me and I'll show them how to actually start to scale it up or, or reposition it. And then we have the board, which is the top level, which are the businesses I actually work with. So we've got property entrepreneur, got PPM portfolio builder. We build high cash flow portfolios for high net worth individuals. I've then got my development group of companies, which is, I've got quite a few companies in there, but they're basically just different sites. So just building out, just finished a block of 14 flats, turned a factory into 14 apartments, just about complete next week on an office block that we're turning into about 58 apartments um, and looking at another one to put 30 apartments in. So that's my sort of development company. And then I've got my holding company, which just does all my investments. So I invest and, and work in other companies. I've got a group of what I call our incubator businesses where I take a, a smaller fee. If I, if I, sometimes I do non-exec work for people and I work with their business, but I prefer to do incubator models where I'll take, I'll take a half the fee that I would normally charge but 20% of the shares. So then there's like real skin in the game. And if it goes well, you know, we're both going to do well. If it doesn't go well, then we both, you know, we both feel the pain. Um, that's mainly, that's, that, that's what we've got. My, my main thing at the minute for next year is just to retire, just to chill out. Um, oh, really? Yeah, just do 10 till two, three days a week for next year. That's have a, have a sabbatical for a year. I'm still doing investments. I'm still buying developments, but, yeah, I've been doing this for my whole life and I just need to make sure there's nothing else out there before I go again. <laughs> yeah, fair play, man. Do you think you'll manage? People I've spoke to are older than us um, said when they retire that, uh, and they've tried to retire multiple times and they really struggle. Um, do you think you'll manage it? Are you, do you, are, are you ready for it? Or do you think you're going to be a short retirement straight back in? Well, I'm a property entrepreneur every year. So we spend three months doing uh, strategy. And in that, we come up with loads of different things for the next year. And one of them is called the year of. And then you have three personal objectives and three professional objectives. And one of my personal objectives for next year is get a life, which is like <laughs> hobbies, friends, family. Like I literally, I'm so obsessed with my work or addicted to my work. Everything else comes second. Um, so I'm just going to try and get a life and see if I... You know, maybe do a bit of traveling, learn to play the piano, like do lots of different things. Different things. And the likelihood is I'll, I'll be sitting there afterwards and be like, fuck this. Like, I need to go back and do some deals. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I need my adrenaline to go back. But I need to check that I need to check that I'm not just addicted to the adrenaline. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think that's, it. That, that's a good thing to do as well. You know, if you don't, if you've sacrificed everything for work, it's, it's. What yeah. sort of life it, do you have outside of business? Say again? What sort of life do you have outside of business? How active yeah. is your like personal life? Yeah, so it's it's, like it's it's full on my, my personal life. To be fair, um, and this is only recently because it's a bit similar to yourself in terms of probably I don't know. I mean, I've got two kids, eight and four. Nearly, Theo was nearly five, but at the start when Ellie was first born, like it's one of my regrets. I, I was too focused on work, and I do regret not spending enough time with my daughter massively a couple of relationships have broke down due to me working too much um and i met my current partner i met, met louise a year and a half ago um and for, she's in business as well and i don't know i just changed when i met louise because i thought you know why am i pushing this hard why am i working 12 hour days and, and just doing all this what is the actual point if you know if you've got loads of money if you've got no one to spend it with or on then what's the point so, so now I've got two kids. I've got a stepson. Um, so they're pretty much full on most weekends. Um, and yeah, I try and do stuff. I haven't got any real hobbies in mind. I don't play sport no more. I don't do anything like that. So it is just work, family, and then socialising. Um, but I found I'm probably getting more done at work now with a better balance. Whereas I feel it previously, I was just so full on. But I think when I was full on in terms of hours, I don't think those hours were fully productive. Now I've tried to kind of discipline myself to the hours I'm at work, really, really efficient, productive hours and still make time for, for everyone else. So, so that's mine, but I've, I've been there and I definitely couldn't take a year off, fair play if you can do that. I, I just couldn't do it. Um, I love my holidays. I think it's essential. I, I say to my staff, like instead of you working 52 hours, uh, sorry, 52 weeks in a year, 
if you worked 48 weeks of the year and had four weeks holiday, I think you'll achieve more. Because the week before holiday, me personally anyway, I cram loads of work into that week before. And then as soon as I'm back, I'm refreshed and recharged and on a mission. And then I do another, I do two weeks work and one week when I get back. So, so I think holidays personally, I think they're essential for for business, me. That's yeah, my thought. On property entrepreneur, we have two mansions, well, loads, a million and one mansions, but two that relate to what you're saying. One is time off is a requirement, not a luxury. Because if you take that time off, even just the weekends, if you take Friday and Saturday and Sunday off, by the time it gets to Sunday afternoon, you're twiddling your thumbs, you're ready to go again, it's like, bang, looking yeah. forward to getting back to work. If you don't, you're just constantly at this sort of slogging pace. So you need, it's a requirement, not luxury. And then, um, what was the other one that you were saying about? Uh, oh yeah, to increase output. So to be more productive, to increase output, reduce input. Because if you if you've got less hours, if you've got four hours to work in a day, your head's down. You you know you you're through it. You're getting it up. If you know that you can start whatever time you want and finish whatever time you want, you'll drag yourself to your desk at five a.m. You'll sit there sharpening your pencils and flicking through social media <laughs> and like, oh yeah, I've got some WhatsApps. Better jump on that. Yeah, so if you actually want to become more productive in your hours, reduce the amount of hours and you just you know, you squeeze it in. Yeah, man, love that. But everyone thinks because of this social media stuff and there's so many people shouting about the grind and the hustle and all this work, all these mad hours, you don't need to work that many hours. You don't need to work 12 hours a day. You don't. It's probably not very good for your health. If you're not exercising, not eating well, and it's just you know, sacrificing your own well-being and your health for the sake of for the sake of earning some money. I don't think that's healthy, mate. But I think a lot of people do it. I've done it for sure. And, and I think Same. probably <laughs> people are listening. You do, don't you? Because you're so yeah. driven and determined and focused and you want to achieve all these amazing things. You know, muscles as well though. It's like there is there is a degree where where the out diminishing returns it starts to taper off. But also mm. It, you can work smart or you can work hard. But if you can work smart and hard, yeah, you know, there's no there's no way as a group of companies we would have achieved what we had without being smart and without working hard. Because it's, like it's 50 years worth yeah. of work, but we did it in a decade. So it's like, yeah, we call it beast mode on property entrepreneurs. It's like when, when you go into beast mode, it's literally having a, it's, it's this whole strategy to get your calendar and like how to play the game with yourself, how to work by reward, how to be productive. And when you of one of the companies I'm a non-exec for just going into a worldwide expansion and their director at the minute is in beast mode. So I'm looking at his calendar and every single 15 minute slither is like booked out. And I'm even like picking through and like, right, that needs to go to your EA. That needs to go to your PA. And we're just trying to make sure that every second that he's grinding, he's pushing forward. Equally, his entrepreneurs do 100 hours a week and they achieve nothing. So smart. No, I love that. I love that. And uh, I've heard that. I think it was Gary Vee said that in it. That it's work smart and hard, um, and it can be done. It can definitely be done. But diary you mentioned there, fifteen minute chunks. I think that's essential. You, you, if you set up your your days like that, you can achieve more. And, and not like if you've got an hour long meeting, taking an hour and a half, an hour and fifteen, because that over a day compounds, and you've lost the last meeting. You, you know, do you think you mentioned it as well? That's social media. I mean, that, just delete that Facebook app off your phone because that is the biggest distraction. Take, turn off the notifications. That's the biggest distraction of all. Entrepreneurs, um, it's like email. Like e- email is a is not an instant messaging platform. You don't need email on your phone. I, I don't even run an email account. My EA and my PA run my email accounts. It's like, you don't need to be in there. It's a, you know, you don't need to be in there deleting messages from Spotify about Ed Sheeran's just released his new album. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, no, that, 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 that's a, I must admit I'm guilty of not the Spotify but I'm guilty of emails I haven't got the notifications on but I regularly find myself dipping in and out and I know I should just do them once a day or have someone else doing it for us but I still dip and I still fall into some bad habits and I do last time I done that there's an exercise the 15 minute chunks when you try and map out what you've done for two weeks breaking it down into 15 minute chunks and I identified this was a couple of years ago I was spending two to three hours a day messing about on emails. And when I found that out, I, I was like, Jesus. So I deleted it, but I'm still slipping back in. It so you just give us a bit of a kick up the arse there as a bit of a reminder to, to stop Honestly, like, No disrespect to people who run inboxes, but it's a 15 to 20 pound an hour job. And once somebody's been doing it for 12 weeks, they'll understand how to work your inbox. And 
there's a thing called the task triangle literally launching it the episode is being launched on my podcast today called task triangle listen to it it's on the official profit entrepreneur podcast and it talks about this triangle where at the top is high value and then it's medium and then it's low value think about an inbox as an example the top one is the decisions and the direction so something comes in and you're like do i want this guest on my podcast the answer is yes or no you don't have to read 20 emails and 20 cvs and like do you know what i mean it's yeah, like yeah yeah it's getting stuck into that i've got a question for you uh, which i'm being yeah, interested in is about, about kids is obviously as entrepreneurs but I've, i was chatting to my partner about this last night and saying do i regret the last decade like, so i'm 35 now and i was thinking one of my things is like when do i start a family um and i chatted to my partner last night and just saying I've, I've committed the last decade to achieve the ultimate independence, which I've now got, which is great. Um, and I, w- I wouldn't regret that. And like to have that trade off to not start a family till I'm in my thirties, I'm, I'm quite content with, but equally when, when, when is the right time? How have you found, what would your advice to me be around starting a family? Do you recommend having kids? How does it actually fit in in reality? The mistakes people make, the success they have, what would your insight be? Um, it's harder than you think it'll be for sure. <laughs> it's very hard. There's no getting anyone who says it's not hard having kids is full of shit, in my opinion. Um, sorry, but I'm not bothered about this way to be fair. But but yeah, honestly, it is very very hard. But it's unbelievable at times. Like it is unbelievable at times, and you're obviously good at coaching and teaching people. I can tell that, and you do that as part of one of your businesses. Teaching your kids stuff is one of the most rewarding things I've ever found. Like when they say lines back to me that I say about money or about about property, about something, it's so rewarding. Like, I've, not that I'm bothered about <clears throat> how many properties I've got, but I've heard to I've heard my daughter say to her friends on Facetime, "My dad's got a hotel. My dad's got these," and they're like, "Really, Ellie? Really, your dad's got... like?" It's just so they're amazing in so many ways. Um, When's the right time? I think that's impossible to say. I How old were you when you had your first one? Uh, so I'm 32 now, so um, what's that, 24 um, when I had Ellie. Um, but it was, I had Ellie like three months after I set up my first business. So, but I had wheels in motion to set up the business and then my ex-partner got pregnant. So <clears throat> it wasn't ideal timing, but then the day you just you just make it work. There's, it's very hard. The first one's definitely the hardest. Second one's a lot easier because you know what to expect. Um, but I think there's pros of having them early because you get your life back earlier, don't you? And there's pros of having them later, like yourself, because you're in a great financial position. You'll be able to give more and you've got more time now by the sounds of things. And imagine if you try to have children at 25 when you're running all these businesses and you probably couldn't have I wouldn't have even wanted to commit much time to them. And kids need time. They need they need quantity of time, not quality, I believe. You give them quality time as well and you take them nice places and all that, but it's just even sitting on the sofa with them, putting the phone away and just being present with them. I think kids, like I've heard my kids, and this is horrible, I've heard my kids say, Dad, you're always on your phone. And you're like, yeah, yeah. oh, fuck it. It, it hits you hard that like um but i would I, i'll put i want more kids um not right now but i want more kids because um going back to one of the first things you said about the generational wealth why are you really doing it i want my kids kids to have like an abundance of everything not that i want to gift them everything but i want them to i want to instill values in them so they can continue the work that i'm doing um in the businesses and the properties and all that so so yeah long answer that's yeah, good no nah, it's great honestly all of that is high value um yeah elon musk just had another kid so he had his also, like, four four sons they had another kid like last year in his 40s mid 40s and he said it's like the best thing to do as an older parent because as an older yeah. parent you just Different. enjoyed it and, yeah yeah he just said there was a lot of value in it so i think mm. if you do decide to go again i think it'd be a very different experience uh, and maybe maybe not not a better experience because you never say that but like different different yeah 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 Yeah, like if if i had another son or daughter now you know i feel like i'd be better because because you do you evolve people like us you you evolve and you constantly self-develop yourself don't you and and you think differently as you 
progress in your life and your business. And, and, and I just feel it. I, one thing I will do, I'll get a nanny. Because if I have a number four, like I've got two and then a stepson. If I have a number four, I need a nanny. That's one yeah. thing that I will need. Um, but yeah, I think I'll be a better, better dad. Not that I was a bad dad to, to my kids, but, but I think I'll be better. So I wish you luck with it, man. I'm sure you'd be a great dad. And, um, Thank you. And you'd, be able to give, you'd be able to give him or her, you know, a lot, a, a great quality of life. And, and, and that's, that's amazing, isn't it, really? Um, I think so. I think it's one of those things that's like, my biggest, one of my biggest values is freedom. It's the idea of having a kid is completely contrast to that. But then also you look at the logics of, I think the best way I've summed it up, because I've, I've never really wanted to have kids, but I, I like the concept of having kids. Um, and I look at people who've had kids, like my brother always wanted to be a parent. So he always wanted to be a parent. And he's like the most amazing dad ever. And I just never understood the sacrifices he made. And said like, but obviously everyone says once you've had kids, it's the most amazing thing. Everyone does it. But from face on face value. So I don't understand how you can make all those sacrifices and be so happy about it. And he said, well, let me flip it on its head because you're an entrepreneur and you employ people all around the country and you take on millions of pounds worth of risk every year and pay hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of overheads every month. I have no idea why you sacrifice all of that stuff to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, that's fair enough, isn't it? It's like, why yeah. do you do that? It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It makes that's absolutely it. no sense. That's a really good point. It's just, it's two completely different outlooks, isn't it? Yeah, it's and they're life. both exactly the same. Like what mm-hmm. you prepare, like desire equals sacrifice. If you desire something, you know, you want to be seven and a half percent body fat, you want to bulk up, you want to make a million quid, whatever you desire, you can have as many desires as you want. You've got to appreciate every single desire basically means sacrifice. And it's like, if you want to be a parent, you know, your desire's got to be more than the sacrifice. If you want to be an entrepreneur, it's exactly the same, so. Love that. I think I think I think that's bang on as well because too many people want all this success and all the wonderful things over here, but they're not prepared to pay the price or or, or do the sacrifice, make the sacrifice other. Um love that. Love that. Great episode so far, loving it. Um cool. okay, so just pulling it back a, a, a step. So what's your attention on right now, Dan? What is your focus on business-wise? Any industries or niches that you feel are really, really exciting or prosperous going forward? What, what What's your attention on? Right cool. Now? So probably two sides to the coin. So one is strategically what's going on in the market. I'll give you an insight to that and let you know what we're doing or what we're investing in, things like that. Okay. And then per, personally, you know, what I'm focusing on. So business-wise, to start off with, um, we're focusing on the bottom of the market rather than the top of the market. So the way the economy is, uh, all sorts of reasons. I think the bottom end of the market for the next few years is going to be far more active. So we're doing a lot more deals. One of my companies has just signed a £33 million contract with a housing association to deliver supported living. We've done more stuff with homelessness, um, refugees, asylum seekers, uh, emergency accommodation. We're focusing more on that sort of social space. It's just very active. Um, the top end of the market where we used to operate, you know, boutique, thousand pound a month, six studio apartments. That that's the top bit of the market. I think it's really sensitive. So we pivoted during lockdown and just repositioned. That's doing as well. Um, all of the new MA that's coming, MA planning, anything in there like repositioning or repurposing E class under PD, especially if you're going up to like fifteen thousand square foot. Like the one we're completing on first of December is twenty nine and a half thousand square foot. So it's just two sites of PD and you're getting 58 apartments in there. You know, if you can get, we're buying at say 40 pound a square foot, developing at like 75. And, you know, it is realistic to be making, uh, the last one we just completed, just refinanced last month, we made, we refinanced out, no money left in. And the return on investment was about, so I spent 1.1 million on it. It's worth 1.8. So whatever that is, it's, you know, it's crazy. The margins are ridiculous when you know how to play that game. So that works really well. Um, just, just, before, just before we jump ahead, could you, some of the people listening might not understand that. Could you maybe just explain that, what what you were doing there, the PD stuff and the E-class? Could you just explain that? That'd yeah, absolutely. Great. So that's okay. Yeah, no problem. When you want to change the use of a building, you can often create a margin by buying it from something that's not, very well utilised in a community and repurposing it for something that's in high demand. An example over the last um, 
eight years has been office blocks. We had a load of empty office blocks after 07, 08. So the government came in and said, look, there's loads of empty office blocks. There's no houses. Rather than have to get planning permission, we're going to introduce what's called PD, which stands for Permitted Development, which means without getting a full planning application, you can buy this site with the confidence that you can convert it into resi or residential. So that works, re that permitted development basically de-risks the process. So you can buy stuff unconditionally. Gone. Sorry, I need to plug my laptop in. Absolute rookie Sounds error, because it's just saying low battery. I'm really sorry. Give us literally one sec. I'll just, I'll just carry on talking. Yeah, um, it, sorry. The sound. Um, so PD allows you to develop without um, full planning permissions. So that's permitted development. What yeah. um, happened in 2020 was the government wanted to relax as part of Build Back Better, which is the government's scheme, the government's strategy for this recovery. They've introduced another level of permitted development. It used to just be certain classes like B1 or B1C, which was office blocks or light industrial. But now they've got what's called the E-class, which they took all of these things that, you know, community centres, gyms, um, office blocks, light industrial, put them all into E-class. Now any business, any building that's in E-class, you can convert into residential with MAPD, MA Permit Development, which means turning things like, I've just bought a business centre, turning that into flats, or a gym, turning that into flats, or doing a, a demo, like for like. There's loads of new stuff. Some of it's really easy, some of it's really complicated, but that's a good thing to focus on. It just de-risks your strategy really and it can be highly lucrative i love that again it's it's being creative it's thinking different it's it's not just going down the conventional route uh, uh, yeah and I, th I think the property market it, a lot a lot of people want to be property investors don't these days i think it's the cool thing to be isn't it being an entrepreneur and being a property guy is cool but if, if there's that many people trying to buy backlets and hmos going down a different more complicated route um you want to observe the masses and do the opposite. Like if everybody's doing it, there's high competition, low margin. If you go and find something that nobody else is doing, there's low competition, high margins. That's it. When everybody else knows about it, you know, when I'm writing about it in magazines and doing things like that on it, like if it's all, if it's in the magazines and at the networking events, you've already missed the boat. You want to be finding that wave in the background nobody else has even heard of, like 3D printed houses or virtual reality headsets that are going to work in the metaverse, you know, all these sort of things. I mean, it's completely bonkers to me, but that's the sort of stuff you want to be looking at. It's not no interest. Yeah, definitely. No, I love that, man. I love that. Um, so any, any other property good. property strategies that you that you you're doing at the moment, or you feel it's it's good going um, forward? So, if you're doing cash flow, you want to be doing like back to back leases or um, pop up service accommodation. They're they're booming areas. Profit would be flipping resi houses. So, using buying resi houses and using PD. So permitted development extensions, side extensions, loft conversions to make yourself 50, 100 grand on a flip. And then asset strategies would be using MA to do build to rent. So just doing yourself a block of six, 20, 100 apartments or little houses and, and renting them out. They're the main property strategies that I'd recommend at the minute. And then the other space, which is business in property, which is more what we focus on is because you can have property, but if you have a business in property, you've got two margins. Um, so if you, if you run a HMO portfolio, that's one margin. If you, if you own a HMO portfolio agency, you know, you've then got another margin and the margin that you can sell as well. The other area that's very active at the minute is M&A, mergers and acquisitions. We've done, in the last 12 months, or by Christmas, we'll have done, I don't know exactly how many deals, I think probably eight, 15 deals, 15 companies that we've bought or sold. But in fact, most of them sold for myself and for other people. And the total value on those is um, well, those those deals that have gone through is like nine point one million in like less than a year. Um, the mergers and acquisition space in worldwide has just cleared um, three point one trillion. So for the first time ever, mergers and acquisitions globally within a year has cleared three trillion. So it's like a very very active space. The logic is, you know, in a boom market everyone invests in their business they recruit people they grow they borrow money in a recession everyone's nervous so there's loads of money but nobody's doing anything with that that's what we've got at the minute there's so much cash everywhere especially in the uk it needs to go somewhere so what you're seeing is people are buying companies rather than building them 
And if you see, you, you know, when the market's hot, when the, the venture capitalists are coming in and buying Sainsbury's, Morrison's, you know, all these big companies are going up for sale. It's just, a, it's a very active space. And I've, yeah, I've sold, yeah, sold quite a few, but sold maybe like well over a dozen businesses this year in that space. So they're, they're the areas that I'd recommend. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, okay. So just a couple of specific questions I had for you. We talked about your career, which is unreal, by the way. Fair play to what you've you've done. Um, okay. I looked, when I was doing my research on you, I liked something that you said about um, there's no problems, only solutions. I don't know if that's one of your mantras that you mentioned, maybe. Um, I resonated with what you said. Um Say a similar thing to some of my sales staff, but could you could you explain that mantra, that saying, and, and what you mean by that? Because I think that's definitely something that people will be able to relate to on the on on the uh, listening. Yeah, so there's so many mantras that we use, and I think this is one that genuinely you should tell your kids, tell tell your parents, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your employees, and it's one of those ones that when you get it. It changes your life and the, the the concept is there's no problems only solutions so if you spend all day looking for problems you're going to spend all day feeling like crap feeling negative overwhelmed if you just think oh my god another problem oh my god another problem that comes with the territory whether you're uh, an employee or an entrepreneur as a human being the world is full of problems don't focus on the problems focus on the solution and the fact that there is no problems only solutions problems just don't exist so okay this this challenge has emerged What's the solution? And when your team can focus on no problems, only solutions, in the office all day, every day, they're talking about solutions. It's a positive. Over the water cooler, over their coffee, they're talking about, there's that whole thing about great ideas, uh, great minds discuss ideas, average minds talk about events, and small minds talk about people. It's like... Yeah, I like that. You, you want to be a great mind, and it's about positivity, it's about solutions, it's about moving forward. There's another good quote as well. This is not one of mine. We're talking about negative people want to be negative. And some of them have the ability to change. Some of them you'll never change because they love negativity the same way we love positivity. And you want to be, you want to know who's worth investing your time in and who is not. Because and this is the quote is um, bees don't waste their time trying to convince flies that honey tastes better than shit <laughs> see that one again i love that i'm gonna put a caption on that see it again <laughs> so bees don't waste their time trying to convince flies that honey tastes better than shit love that. bang on that love that analogy no problems only solutions is a mindset to allow people who get overwhelmed by problems to remember that there is no problems they don't exist there's only solutions and the thing doesn't stop with a problem. It starts with a problem. And then if, if you give people that and they still choose to focus on the problems, then you know that actually, you know, you've got your, your bees and you've got your flies and you want to surround yourself with bees unless you're a fly. <laughs> Love that, man. Love that. And it is, you're so right. People just think, there's another phrase, I, I, I don't know what the percentage, I think it was life's 80% how you react. It's only 20% what happens to you. But everyone thinks it's the other way around. It's, people think oh, it's all about stuff will happen to you and you can't control it and all this. And they're focusing on the problems. And it's only a little bit how you react. But how you react is the, finding the solution, isn't it? And and people have got it a lot worse than us and still achieve more than us. Haven't they? Yeah, and it's, it's having that mindset. And it's and it's constantly understanding that most of your assumptions. Like challenge your assumptions and challenge your perceptions because most of them are wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you can just constantly look at the things that you believe are true, you know, Terry's walking around, living his life based on this script that's in his head, his beliefs, things like that. When you can really challenge them. Like last year, I was like, right, one of my assumptions is that I have, a, I have to work hard because I've always had a work ethic. I've always been a grafter. Why is that? And I've, I've spent a year trying to figure it out. And then I went and got hypnotized. And they said, and they took me back to my childhood. And it turned out it was about my parents' expectations or my father specifically about my father's expectations and then when I went out and challenged it spent about six months challenging it I realized actually it's not true at all like he just wants me to be happy this thing was my ego that got me to where I am was now starting to hold me back and not serve me anymore and then when I broke that down the result is I'm taking a year off 
which a year ago I'd never have done that because I'm like I wear my work ethic as a badge of honor you know I am a grafter I'm a grinder I'm up earlier than you I go to bed later than you I achieve more than you but now I'm like take pride in the fact I'm having a year off whereas I never would have done that before because my my mindset was wrong that again I'm sure that people can resonate and relate to that um for sure um no thank you for sharing that's, that's great the hypnotist thing interests his mind and I've heard a few people say that now how they can take you back and find the root cause and then you when you remove that you change it changes the way you think um well, there's four layers well, if you think about it this is like really advanced stuff but I was going to say so the business side will give you the development stuff the personal stuff I'm focusing on is like my spirituality and my soul and like the softer things in life, you know, all the woo-woo stuff. And um, one of the things we teach on Profit Entrepreneurs about the theatre of life is the fact that you can watch, we're all watching the same screen, which is our life, but there's four sections to the audience. And the first is just the body. It's turning up, walking around, being a functional person. You've not got any awareness at all. You're just a robot. The next is the mind. So it's your education, it's your understanding, it's your perceptions, it's your psyche, it's your, it's your anxieties, it's the way you think. That's the second layer. If you can move back, you can be a bit more conscious, but still, you know, you've not got any control. After that is the spirit. And it's like, why are you actually here? Why, who are you? What are your values? What do you get value from? What, do you, what gets value taken away? Like, what is your spirit? What drives you? What, what makes, gets you going? Where's your energy come from? And then the back is the soul. It's like, why are you actually here? You know, if you believe you're a soul, you know, whether into religion or science or whatever, atheist, you are a physical body and you're also something else, a consciousness, a soul, a spirit. Like, what is that? You know, why is it here? Because it's here. You're, you're the best in the world at something. Do you actually know what it is? Or like most people, are you just going to you know, die with your music inside you? Or through life, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it is very deep, but it's true, man. In some people, when you say stuff like this, it just goes and they don't understand it to the. But um, I believe in all that, and, and I haven't found the back layers yet, but I'm sure I will. Um, meditate, exercise, I'm up early, all that type of stuff. I'm a big believer on getting yourself right, and and everyone's here for a for a reason, and, and everyone has a purpose. Um, and unfortunately, so many people never ever find it, do they? They just never ever find it. Not even, a, but they're not even aware enough. Like you rightly said, there. Even the second layer, they're not even aware of any of that other. They're just coasting through life and getting by on them. It's quite sad. That, that, that Buddhist quote it says, um, "Every man, obviously, which means man and woman, but every man lives two lives, and the second begins when he realizes he only has one." Mm. And it's like you spend half your life, you spend your first life looking for your purpose. And you spend your second second life or your second half of your life exploring it and living it and delivering it. And it's, I mean, it's not something you can literally just take half an hour to figure out. It's a lifetime's work. But yeah, yeah. The closer we can get to that every year, the more content that we'll feel. Fulfilled, happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. No, I love that, man. I think that's a real, a real great way to, to, to wrap it up. Just a couple of final little questions to ask everybody. You did actually half answer one of the questions, but I'm going to answer it anyway. The show is called The Rags to Riches Show. Um, but it's not just about people who've achieved financial success because you can be rich in multiple different areas. You can be rich in time, monetary, experiences, whatever. But what does being rich mean to you? What does that phrase mean? Um, well, because we sort of carved the two words out. So... If I was to use it as wealth, it's probably like more my terminology. So uh, wealth to me is like freedom of choice, independence, not having to worry about the things that I worried about as a kid, you know, red phone bills and stuff like that. Like just financial independence, freedom. Yeah, and just control really. Uh, if I'm ever watching the clock, that's a bad song. And that only happens once or twice. Yeah, if that happens once a month, it's a bad month. Right? I never watch the clock. I can, I can be the busiest person in the world, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing to a degree. And 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 when it stops being fun, then when the fun stops, stop. So, um, yeah, to me, it's it's freedom. Love that. Love that. It's the only thing that we can't get back, right? It's time. You can't and get the money back if you lose it. Uh, you can't get that time back. Love that. Um, 
Dan, Dan it's, been, it's been a great episode. I've, re, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Um, I think you're very interesting, to, to be honest. It seems that you're doing a lot of different things and you, you, you're clearly switched on and, and, and successful in multiple areas. If anybody wants to reach out or find out a bit more, a bit more about you, follow your story or journey, what's the best way for people to, to reach out? The biggest thing I'd recommend for people who want to hear more of this stuff is if you subscribe to the official Corporate Entrepreneur podcast, it's now in the top 10 of entrepreneur podcasts in the UK. They're only about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And we release them every Tuesday and it's me delivering most of them. And I just think you'll get those. If you liked those, some of those nuggets I gave you, my aim there is just to give people real life changing nuggets through there. So subscribe to that, listen to that. And then just follow me on social media. I have a property entrepreneur or Daniel Hill on any of the platforms. You'll find, you'll find me on there and uh, feel free to reach out. Love that. Love that. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing. Your Amazing, content. Terry. All the best of it. Thanks, mate. Take care. Cheers, mate.